This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. Everybody, welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. It is great to be with you again. Another beautiful Monday morning here in Southern California. A little chilly, I'm not going to lie. Um, after what feels like months of higher than normal temperatures, um, it's starting to come down. So last night it got down to about 70 in the house with all the windows open and everything. Which sounds glorious to most of you, especially those of you who have seen your first snow already. You're like, oh man, if I could wake up and have it 70 degrees in the house with no heat on at all, that would be awesome. Uh, But when you're used to it being 78 or higher, 70 is a little chilly. And so, but it's great. It's a beautiful day. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have you with us. October 17th, 2022. So little housekeeping um, tidbit here. It's just the boys here um, with our little uh, foster kiddo. Uh, Tammy and Allie went to see Rachel in New York City. So they are there watching Rachel perform, uh, catching a few shows, things like that. So it's been really quiet. Um, But also just it's just fun. It's fun when your family, parts of your family get together and go do things together. Um, you know, building those bonds and just really strengthening those relationships. So it's, it's great to have the girls doing that this weekend. Uh, but at the same time, looking forward to having Tammy home. So, all right, well, let's dive in. Today's going to be a short one. Um, I just had this idea this week and really wanted to flesh it out. And so I thought I would run it by you. So our minute of transparency, um, I'm just going to call it crisis averted. So how would you answer this question? Uh, When you look back on your life, what was the biggest crisis that you faced? Now, let me clarify. I'm not asking what was the worst thing that ever happened to you, because those things are typically out of our control, right? things that the world or other people or nature do to us that we don't have any control over. But I'm asking about a situation where we had control, right? I mean, it could have been a really bad situation, don't get me wrong, but we had a decision to make. We had a choice to make. I know, right? The other question would have been much easier. But our topic for today is all about crises, situations we find ourselves in where we have to make a call. And neither option seems to be a very good solution. So we'll get into that a little bit later, but start thinking about it, right? A time in your life when you had to make a really big decision, one that probably produced stress, fear, anxiety, that sort of thing, a decision that you wished you could have forced on another person, um, if only that was an option. And while you're thinking about yours, uh, let me tell you about one of mine. So it was back when I was in college. Uh, One summer I was working at the computer lab on campus and I was sitting there at my desk and I looked out the window and I saw this girl laying on a blanket in the middle of the, the quad area, right? Surrounded by textbooks and she had sunglasses on. 
I'm, I'm assuming she was trying to study, but my guess is that she was really just enjoying being in the sun. I was intrigued, right? Intrigued enough to start stalking her. We didn't have social media back then, so it was other ways of stalking. Um, but I really was just trying to figure out who she was. Long story short, she was there for a summer session of school, and then she was going to return to Canada and then come back when the school year started. So when she left at the end of the summer or midway through the summer, um, I had her information. So I sent her a long letter with a mixtape. I know, old school, right? Sent her a mixtape that I had pulled together to kind of help explain my interest. So apparently it worked because she returned to school that fall. We met up, we started dating, and for the next few years, that's the way things went. Now, I'm not sure that my mind was on marriage per se, but I definitely felt like she checked a lot of the boxes. After dating somebody for that long, you can't help but start thinking about some of those things, right? But around the time that I started to think those things, things also started to get a bit strange. Now, it may have been going on all along, but I just hadn't noticed until then. I started to realize that even though she spent most of her time with me, she also spent a lot of time with other guys. Not random guys, well-placed guys based on her interest. So she loved swimming, and there was this guy that she would go swim laps with. She was also into gymnastics, and there was this guy that she would go train with in the gym. She loved working out. There was a guy at the gym that she worked out with. All in all, there seemed to be a different guy for every one of her interests. Now, I don't feel like I'm the jealous type. Um, so when I started to question her about this behavior, it wasn't that I was jealous about one or more of them, you know, and that I thought that she wanted one of them more than she wanted me. Um, even though I probably should have, right? Most of the guys she spent time with look like Greek gods. So I should have been a little jealous. But at the same time, it really wasn't jealousy. Like, like I said, for me, it was just more practical. I looked at it as an abnormality, something that just didn't make sense. When I looked at all of my friends and their relationships, this wasn't the case for them. This wasn't happening to them. So the fact that it was my reality seemed totally out of place. Uh, my friends considered it strange, which basically reinforced my beliefs that it was strange. So eventually that led to the conversation with my girlfriend. Unfortunately, that's when the gaslighting began. So, you know, she said things like, uh, there's nothing going on with them. You know, since you don't like doing those things, I have to find somebody else to do them with. Um, you're probably just jealous, right? You don't really believe in us. I'm okay with you having friends that are girls. Shouldn't you be okay with me having friends that are guys? Now, this was a long time ago, so I can't really remember what happened immediately after our first conversation right? If we stayed together for a while, trying to work things out, or if it ended pretty quickly after that. But what I do remember is that eventually I came to a crisis point. I had to make a decision, and it wasn't easy. On the one hand, I could stay with her and try to figure it out, or even, I guess, eventually become okay with the scenario that we were in. Now, this would be a good thing for me because we've been together for a really long time, and obviously there was that emotional connection. On the other hand, breaking things off 
would end the pain and the uncertainty that I was going through. I wouldn't have to figure out what was going on anymore. Um, and so I would be free, right? I would be free of that pain. So the time came and I chose the latter. I broke things off specifically because I wasn't able to reconcile the situation we were in. And I don't even really remember what her response was, though I don't believe she pushed back very hard. And that was that. I think we reconnected a year or so later. We had dinner. We had some good conversation, but nothing came out of it from there. But that's really not the end of the story. If this was a book, we would just be getting to the epilogue. So years later, I'm married with kids sitting in a small starter house in South Bend, Indiana, and our telephone rings. My wife picks it up and hands it to me and says, I think it's one of your ex-girlfriends. <laughs> now, I'm not sure how she knew that. But as it turned out, that's exactly who it was. It was the girl I broke up with in college, just calling me to check in from Idaho. To this day, I don't even know why she called. I don't, I don't know that she had anything specific in mind. She didn't ask for anything. She didn't drop any big news. We just chatted about life, and uh, she asked about mine. I'm not even sure how she found my number. But the one thing I do remember... Uh, about that phone call is a statement that she made, a statement centering around her railroading the relationship, as she called it. Basically, that her decision to spend time with all these other guys was a bad decision on her part, and she understood why it led to us breaking up. There was obviously some remorse in her voice, but what do you say to something like that years, years, years and years later, right? So I just listened, and at the end of the call, I wished her all the best. For me, it didn't change anything. I had moved on. I was living my life. But it did make me think back to that crisis, and it provided a small piece of closure, kind of a confirmation to me that I had made the right decision, even though it was one of the hardest things I had to do. It turned out okay in the end. But let's get back to you. Have you thought of yours yet? If so, keep it in mind as we dive in today. So today's topic is transcending crises, and we're going to walk through three sections. First, avoiding crises. Number two, common options. And finally, getting proactive. Number one, avoiding crises. So I thought this would be a fun place to start. <laughs> I, I can already hear some of you yelling back at me <clears throat> through the microphone about the title of this section because it's not a rational statement. Why? Because it doesn't really matter how hard we try, what we do, we will experience crises in life. I know because it's my nature to mitigate risk, right? I'm an Enneagram one, not only a perfectionist, but I'm also looking for ways to improve life, simplify complexity, uh, and make decisions based on facts. All of these uh, personality traits within me lead to this foolish belief that if I just do the right things, my life will be less chaotic, though I'll have less problems, and eventually I'll have less crises throughout my life. So how do you think I'm doing with that? Think it's been working for me? <laughs> no, of course not. I've had my share of crises, difficult situations where I've had to make difficult decisions. And the reason why it's so difficult is because they're not obvious, right? They're decisions like the ones we're going to have to discuss in the next section. And the sooner we realize that crises happen to all of us, 
the sooner we'll be able to accept that reality and decide how we want to deal with them when they come our way. Number two, common options. So one of my favorite podcasts is the Story Grid podcast with Tim Grawl and Sean Coyne. Now, I find this I found this podcast after reading Sean's book by the same name, and it just blew my mind. Nothing excites me more than this idea that there is a recipe to successful writing, how to successfully write a novel, for example. A recipe made up of very specific elements that can be outlined, spreadsheeted, checked, double-checked, all in order to build an engaging story. Now, I'm not opposed to what they call pantsing or being a pantser, which is writing from the seat of your pants. Um, you know, just having the entire story roll off the top of your head. I mean, I love that. But if I could start there and then apply something like the story grid to it and ensure that it has all the necessary elements to satisfy a reader's preconceived ideas and expectations, what's not to love, right? So that's why I got so into the Story Grid podcast. But at some point, the topic turned to a very important concept. Um, one of the big things that Sean talks about is the five commandments of storytelling. And the third of the five is called crisis. Sound familiar? Defined like this on the Story Grid website. When the protagonist's initial strategy to deal with the inciting incident has failed, they face a dilemma. This is the crisis. The crisis poses a real choice between incompatible options with meaningful stakes. It is always a binary, this or that choice. So this is where we get our two options. According to Sean Coyne and the StoryGrid framework, these are obviously literary options for authors, but the reason that they work is because they're based on reality. They're, they're based on real-life crises that we all experience. And this adds a level of believability to the story and hooks the reader. So what are these two options? Well, before we get into that, Sean explains that these options must have the following elements. First, they must be incompatible options. So in, the, in your story, the protagonist must give something up. In choosing one option, they have to fully choose to give up the other. And number two, the stakes have to be meaningful. In other words, this decision must matter. It has to be a hard decision with real-life stakes. Okay, so those are the requirements for the crisis, but here are the two ways that these crises present themselves. Option one, best bad choice. So in a best bad choice scenario, you have to choose between two terrible options, right? you're basically determining the lesser of two evils. Option number two, irreconcilable goods. So this is choosing between two wonderful options, determining the good thing that should win out over the other good thing. So let's look at a few examples of each. Uh, my story in the minute of transparency was an example of a best bad choice. So bad choice number one, I could have stayed in the relationship where I wasn't even sure that there was a level of commitment. Bad choice number two, I could break up and give up a two-year relationship. See how that works? Two bad choices, and I'm having to choose between two bad choices. Next, if you're a Christian, this will sound familiar. Bad choice number one, Jesus choosing to die on the cross. 
right? Painful, suffering, horrible death. Bad choice number two. If Jesus chose not to go to the cross, there would be no hope for humankind. Two very bad options, right? Now let's look at the opposite. Here's a practical one. Career decisions. Good choice number one. Stay at your job where you know that you're up for a promotion. Or good choice number two. Take a job at a lower salary, but one that you are fully passionate about. Or let's put it in terms of like relationships. So let's say you've been dating around and you realize that there are two people who really seem into you. Good choice number one, the person is somebody you grew up with and you know that you're 100% compatible with this person. Good choice number two, the other person is someone who's really new to your life, um, but they're gorgeous or they're, they're too good to be true. You feel like you've hit the lottery. So you have to choose between two really good choices. So those are just a few examples of the way that crises play out in our life. Now, the story grid wants you to maximize these scenarios to be sure, right? The crises in your book or in your scene um, have to be top-notch, right? In fact, if there is a life and death best bad choice, even better, because it's all about keeping the reader's attention, keeping them on the edge of their seats, so they won't put the book down. Now, in life, things aren't always that exciting, right? We have small crises, we have medium crises, and we have large-level crises. But in each scenario, the options are the same. You either have to pick from a best bad choice or choose between irreconcilable goods. It's just the nature of a crisis. Number three, getting proactive. So I think I mentioned this a bit earlier on the episode, but this whole idea that we need to get to a place where we understand that crises will happen in life. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Don't believe me? Just think about the past two years in your life. Count up all of the crises that you've been involved in. I can come up with at least five off the top of my head. Here's one, just for the fun of it. So talk about a best bad choice. Um, I think I've talked before about my son wanting a Mazda Miata, right? So when when he got to the age where he could drive, uh, some of his friends uh, had these little convertibles and and he would go out driving with them and, and he, he got to the place where he just really loved them and he wanted one of his own. So when he got his permit, uh, we started looking around and um, we found one and we bought it and it needed a little work, right? Now it ran, we were able to drive it home. He could have just kept driving it, um, but we had a decision to make, right? We had a best bad choice <laughs> and here's why. Bad choice number one, spend $2,500 to get it running again and ensure that it uh, was fully safe and not leaking oil and all that good stuff. Bad choice number two, drive it the way it is, possibly causing more damage to the car and increasing the danger in terms of my son driving it. So two choices that weren't the greatest, and you just have to pick the one that is the right one. So again, just one example of many that I've gone through in the past few years, but I'm sure if you spent some dedicated time looking through your recent past, you'd find a handful of difficult crises that you've had to deal with as well. So the question is this, if we know the crisis is coming, what can we do? Is there a way to be proactive 
in terms of our response to the crisis, or do we just have to react when they arise? Well, there most likely will be crises that jump up and bite you in the butt when you least expect them. Crises that you'll maybe just have to flip a coin or consult your lucky eight ball for or something like that. But for the rest, there are some things that we can do. There are some things that we can think through ahead of time that just might help us when crises come our way. So let's just run through three high-level things that we can do to be prepared for crises. Number one, run it through your worldview. Or maybe I should have said, have a worldview to begin with. So for some people, this is going to be a spiritual or a religious thing right? A set of beliefs, a core set of beliefs and values that guide your decision-making. For others, if that's not the case, it may be totally based on science, just doing the logical thing or the statistically significant thing. But whatever the case, figure out what your worldview is before a crisis ever comes your way. then, Then you'll have a foundation, right? A baseline for your next move. It may not give you the answer, but it should at least help you get there. Number two, run it by your people. So remember that old game show called uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? <laughs> one, of, one of the options a contestant had when they got stuck on a question was to phone a friend. And that's really what I'm talking about here. When you encounter a crisis, don't feel like you have to keep it all bottled up inside or lock yourself in a room and hash it out by yourself. No, pull up. Pull in the people around you, the people you trust. That could be family, spouse, coworkers, close friends, whatever. But get all the help you can get and use it all to help you make a better decision. And finally, number three, be okay with failure. So it's really important to realize that nobody makes the right choice every single time. We will make poor decisions, wrong decisions from time to time. But these can be learning experiences, and they will make us stronger in the long run. There is no point in beating yourself up over these decisions. Simply take the learnings and keep moving forward. Let's land the plane. So thanks again for joining us this week. Um, Just ask yourself these questions this week. What was the crisis that you thought of at the beginning of this episode? Was it an example of a best bad choice? Or irreconcilable goods? And what was your decision in that situation? Did it turn out okay? Or was it a learning experience, a bad decision that you ended up having to learn from? Regardless, I hope that um, that this has been helpful, just thinking through what a crisis is, how it um, impacts us, and how we can plan for it in the future. But that's really it. Just wanted to throw that out there. Um, Love having you guys with us each week um, so we can work through some of these ideas, some of these concepts. Uh, I hope everyone is safe and enjoying their lives around the country, around the world. Until next time, everyone, have a great week. And as always, keep transcending human. Thank 
you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, head on over to transcendhuman.com forward slash podcast and navigate to the episode you're looking for. On the website, you'll also find blog posts, podcast series, and other helpful resources to help you navigate the Transcend Human ecosystem. You'll also find links to our social media channels, And as always, if you have questions, feel free to contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here on Monday morning.